0: You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy is a writer for the SportsDaily.com and Cheesehead TV. And in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Guiding you through the offseason from OTAs to training camp, we've got you covered. If you have a question you'd like us to answer for you on the show, hit us up on Twitter at JJLahey or at GilPackers, or you can email us at AskNoHuddle at gmail.com. Well, as we were getting ready to start recording this podcast Thursday evening, we got a few pieces of news, none of it great. (laughs) Uh, Some of it was not bad, but also just not real exciting. So we're going to start with the little things and work our way up to the big things real quick here. Uh, So Anthony Rush defensive tackle was released. He barely played last year, so not the biggest loss. Uh, He was released to make room for a fifth quarterback, Jake Dologala um not really sure what the angle is here why we signed him but uh obviously quarterback is a massive priority for the packers right now uh of course nobody's talking about
1: it at all i don't understand
0: yesterday we did release running back mike weber which stinks that's a guy i always really liked and had high hopes for Um, The big news, the really big news here is that Jay Sternberger has been suspended for the first two games of the season. Um, We are still waiting for details to come out. He was suspended for violating the NFL's uh, policy and program on substances of abuse. Not sure what substance that is that he was uh, busted for. Uh, I I believe that in this newest CBA, That they're no longer testing for weed or you can't get suspended for weed. I'm not really sure uh, what exactly was going on. But I do know Sternberger has allegedly kind of already been on thin ice with a lot of the coaching staff. So this getting suspended for the first two games of the season is not a good sign at all for his chances to make the 53.
1: Can't be, no. And and here's a uh, a guy who struggled with injuries and illness. I mean, he had COVID last year in training camp, never really seemed to fully recover from it, uh, dealt with injuries his rookie year, missed most of the season. And now we know he can't play for the first two games. And uh, depending on what the substance is and and how serious a problem it is, uh, that's not good for his long term outlook and short term, we already had a crowded tight end room. And, you know, he just probably fell down a notch or two in the eyes of the coaching staff.
0: Now, here's one more story from this afternoon that I'm not really thrilled about. And you and I chatted about it, and it didn't seem to bother you very much. So the Packers have signed uh, free agent linebacker Devondre Campbell. He the the details of his contract came out. It's a one year, two million dollar contract with a one point oh one million dollar signing bonus. However, that is spread out over four voidable years. And at this point, I feel like this is just kind of ridiculous. The all the different uh, voidable years that we're adding to like every player on the roster. It's kind of it's getting to the point with all the different restructures, all the money pushed out in the future, where. If you need to free up some serious cap space next year, even by cutting guys, it's not really going to accomplish what you need because of all the money that you have committed to them in the future already. Uh, Additionally, Devontae Campbell also has a half million dollars in play incentives. So, um, you know, good for him that he has those incentives. I hope that he hits every single one of them and the Packers do have to pay that out because that is just good news for them Uh, if, if he's playing awesome. But I don't understand. And yeah, this is not a lot of money that we're pushing out in the future with this guy. But, you know, this is like the 10th guy in in the last few, you know, handful of weeks here that they have added a, a ton of voidable years to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it looks like the front office is betting on a very big rise in the cap for 2023 and hoping that a lot of this dead money that is inevitably going to be there won't have that big an impact as a result.
0: Well, no question. This year is boom or bust. The Packers have gone all in. They have maxed out the credit card. This is the year. This is clearly they, they feel this. There is one last giant shot here at a Super Bowl. And obviously you got some major questions as to who is going to be leading the offense this year. And you and I have sat down and asked ourselves the question. Hang on, I'm going to restart this a little bit and cut this out. Yeah, go ahead. And you and I have decided to answer the question, what is needed from this Packers team to win a Super Bowl this year? What are the five things, the top five things that the Packers need to have happen in order for them to win a Super Bowl this year? And we're talking win a Super Bowl. We're not talking just be a really good team. We're not talking make the playoffs. We're talking win a Super Bowl. And to before we get started on that, I want to read off. I wrote a list of a few things a year ago that I thought the team needed to do in order to win a Super Bowl. And I thought it'd be fun for us to look at this and see how they aged and see... You know, number one, if if these things happened, and number two, if they ended up being as important as I thought they would be at the time. So, number one, a year ago, I wrote the biggest priority is that Aaron Rodgers needs to stick to the plan, no more sabotaging the offense. There (laughs) were quite a few times where Rodgers just did not trust the call that that Matt LaFleur, or the play that that Matt LaFleur called, and he would... Change it. He would not throw to the open guy. He would hold on the ball and try and uh, take a bigger gain, and it was um, causing a lot of drives to stall out. Right, it was something we talked about a lot. It was a big problem, and it happened. The, <laughs> it happened, and the dude won MVP. yeah <laughs> which I don't think we really saw coming.
1: I don't think anybody saw it coming, but uh check that box. That was good.
0: Number two, I wrote a wide receiver. Two needs to step up and take pressure off of Devontae. Um, I don't know that I would say that happened, No, I was not in it... one singular person, but we had with Lazard and MVS and Tunyon and everybody else, there were so many targets for, and the running backs, there were so many targets for Rodgers that Devontae was not really feel, feeling the heat, and he ended up having the best year of his career.
1: So it worked out even if no one person filled that void.
0: So I I would give myself partial credit for this. I'm not even going to say half credit, but like maybe a quarter credit because it certainly did not come from a wide receiver 2 and the wide receiver 2 narrative was such a big deal throughout the entirety of last season. Yep. that I don't really think we can fudge this one a little bit and say, "Oh yeah, you know, you with the combination, it was basically Wide Receiver 2. I, I think that we really clearly defined what what the fans thought needed to happen at Wide Receiver 2, and that certainly did not happen. So, partial credit here, I think, for my answer, but uh, ultimately, that Wide Receiver 2, I, I don't think, ended up even being close to being the key.
1: Correct. But I I think the the goal was met, even if it wasn't met the way we expected it to be met.
0: I think also in hindsight, I think having this ranked as the second most important thing on the list is very wrong. I think it probably should still be on this list, but very near the bottom. I agree with that. I agree with that. So the third one is going to be a really interesting, interesting one to talk about, because I said we need to add a big run stopping defensive tackle. The D-line needs to improve their ability to stop the run and bring consistent pressure. No question that this was not met at all. Very late in the season, they did sign Snacks Harrison and then barely let him play at all. Um, Whether this would have changed anything, I'm kind of skeptical. you got to remember that at the time that I wrote this, we were coming off of that humiliating 49ers game where Raheem Mostert you know, set like a, a playoff record for rushing yards. Right. Um, clearly, this was not even addressed, though.
1: No, it it
0: did not come to fruition.
1: So, yeah, uh, no, no question. This one uh, thumbs down.
0: Now, I will say, though, there were two games that you could point to that were really affected by this. Ultimately, they didn't have any impact on the Super Bowl goal. But that loss to the Minnesota Vikings, where Dalvin Cook uh, just had his way with us, it was a very humiliating loss, and it would have been nice to have not had that happen. But it also didn't impact the Super Bowl at all because we still had the number one seed. So um, had had we not gotten the number one seed and we were one game away from getting it, then I would think you would say that this actually was a bigger deal.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: All right, the next one I wrote is interesting because I think there was a little bit of, you know, uh, premonition in this and also a big miss. So I wrote, first of all, Zadarius can't regress and Rashawn needs to be a good compliment. They need to be a top pass rushing duo. Mm-hmm. So Zadarius definitely did regress his 2020 season, although good was not anywhere near the freakishly good best-of-all-time performance he put out in 2019. Right. But there was a big miss here in that Rashawn Gary was not even the guy opposite Zedarius. That was Preston who reprised his role. And Preston regressed significantly. Big time. They were not a top pass rushing duo. Here's my question to you. Do you think that this had any impact? And I, I have I have my answer in my head already. But do you think this had any impact on us not reaching the super bowl.
1: Yes. I do. Not a major impact, but it did have an impact.
0: In the NFC Championship game versus the Bucks. Yep. Yeah. Uh we had Dean Lowry, oh, sorry, let's see. Kenny Clark had one pressure and one sack. Dean Lowry had one pressure. Zadarius Smith had one pressure. Preston had one pressure. Darnell had one pressure. There were no other pressures, sacks, or hits in the entire game. Tom Brady was kept clean the entire night. Z- um, Rashawn had zero pressures, sacks, or hits. Um, Brady had all day to throw the ball. And he still threw a whole bunch of interceptions. Yep, he did. But if, if, if we could have gotten more than one sack on him... I don't think we lose that game. I think this is a – I think not having any kind of a pass rush in that game
1: definitely affected the outcome. And, and I think it was something that uh, took the defense down a notch over the course of the season as well. So uh, I, I think that, you know, that didn't happen enough and it was a problem for the team.
0: Number five, I wrote, special teams needs to improve. Irvin needs to be the primary returner. Menenga needs to shape up or ship out. So that one was just a crystal ball. (laughs) Well, he shipped out, so, you know. uh... But did this impact the Super Bowl? I don't think it impacted it one bit. It was definitely a major weakness of the team, but did it impact us not winning a Super Bowl?
1: No, I don't necessarily think it did.
0: I think the only game you could point to would be the first time we played the Bucs when special teams was a massive issue. Is it possible that better special teams play could have turned that game around a bit? And if we had beaten them the first time, maybe the outcome is a little bit different the second time.
1: Uh, That's a lot of ifs, I think. And, you know, you got to also remember that first game, to me, we lost 38 to 10. Okay, it wasn't like it was 20. Four twenty-one or something like that, but we it also lost
0: got away from us really early, really
1: early with the two pick sixes. Uh, so to me, uh, the answer to, to that question is no, it wouldn't, could it have made it, you know, 31 to 10 or 31 to 17 instead of 38 to 10, maybe, but I don't think it would have necessarily turned the tide in that game and thereby changed the dynamics for the NFC championship game.
0: All right, so today we're doing the top five. But when I wrote this, I had a sixth item, and that was just the team needs to stay healthy again because they were extraordinarily healthy in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I think this might be one of the biggest reasons that we did lose that game is we were missing, among other guys, David Boxiari.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were. And that was critical because of the amount of pressure that Tampa Bay got on aaron Rodgers, i believe it was oh, five was sacks in that game but yeah, yeah he was running around all day it's more than the five sacks because they were in the backfield way too often and i think you know we had what three interceptions in the second half and weren't able to cash in on them predominantly because of that pass rush
0: yeah i have a list of all the plays of the second half it's it's pretty brutal uh, for us on offense, you see Brady getting intercepted and we can't do anything with it. Oh, this is I'm not even going to read it out loud because I don't want to depress the audience, but. All right, we need to cheer up because <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> think about the Bucs game anymore. Let's look ahead to this year. So we both wrote down our list of the top five things that we think need to happen for the Packers to win a Super Bowl in, in the 2021 season. So. Uh, Go ahead and give me your number one item. Well, I hate to be Captain
1: Obvious, but to me, it's make sure Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback when the season starts.
0: Yeah, that is my number one as well. If Jordan Love is your quarterback this year, I think we are all very excited about what the season can look like. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're beginning a new era in Green Bay. I still have an expectation that. We make the playoffs. I think that would be uh, a, a reasonable goal if the team is as good as we think it should be. But I don't think anyone is expecting in Jordan Love's first year as starter to take us to this to the promised land and win a Super Bowl.
1: No, I think in Jordan Love's first year as starter, if we can qualify for the playoffs, that would be an accomplishment.
0: Here's my number two. I wrote that the Packers can't run into a team they can't beat because in 2020, they played the Bucks early on. And for some reason, that team was just in their head and they had two horrific, um, humiliating games against them. In 2019, they ran into the 49ers early on. And the same thing, they just happened to be matched up in the NFC Championship game with a team that both years was not necessarily the best team in the conference but it was a team that the Packers just could not get out of their heads and well, but so I, I, so do, do you have this do you have this or something similar to it anywhere on your list
1: I I don't but you know to me it's not even a mental thing the teams in each year had one aspect of their game that the Packers couldn't overcome, whether it was the running of the 49ers in 2019 or the pass rush and the speed of the linebackers of Tampa Bay in 2020. It was more than a psychological thing. It was a matchup problem and the Packers couldn't overcome that specific matchup in order to stay in the game. It was exploited very well by the opposing team.
0: And it's kind of some bad luck. I mean, there were Clearly, there were teams that were able to beat. I mean, OK, look at the, the Bears. The Bears beat the Buccaneers and that we just trounced the Bears twice. Wasn't even close. So it's not it's not a matter of, oh, the Buccaneers were just better than us. It was a very bad matchup um, and it was just kind of terrible luck that we happened to bo- both of those teams in, in both years, the 49ers and then the Buccaneers happened to have a path through the playoffs that put them up against the Packers. And each team really had, had, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, a destiny laid path to each other in that championship game. And if that happens again, it's a little bit hard to beat that.
1: It is. And you want to avoid that, but I mean, you know, And injuries, again, played a part, especially last year. We talked about the offensive line and missing Bakhtiari, uh, arguably. In fact, I would say, not arguably, the best pass-blocking offensive tackle in football today. And the best run-blocking ones, too. And one of the best run-blocking ones as well. But, you know, that was the guy we really needed to equalize that matchup. And his absence was glaring And unfortunately, you know, Billy Turner, Rick Wagner, they, they weren't able to get it done. Now that, you know, a lot of good offensive tackles struggled against that Buccaneers pass rush, especially later on in the season. But at the end of the day, without David Bakhtiari, the Packers couldn't get it done.
0: All right. So you don't have that one anywhere on your list?
1: Not specifically. No, but, uh, but I share the sentiment. I, I, I agree that it is, uh, you know, definitely something that
0: is important. Go ahead and give us your number two, then.
1: Uh, my number two is let's at least get the run defense to be solidly average. I mean, we don't need it to be, you know, a top five in the league, top 10 in the league, but get me within the top 15, get me a Mm. respectable run defense that isn't hurting us constantly. Uh, I- I'm not saying emphasize the run defense. I'm not saying it's the number one priority, but it can't be such a weakness that it hurts us. Uh, you know, it needs to be more like the Tennessee game last year. Then, yeah, I was going to bring that up. You know, the, to me, if we can just be, and if you look at the final numbers, uh, Tennessee didn't run the ball that badly statistically, but Uh, When it mattered, they weren't able to run the ball consistently, and that is, to me, the key. Situationally, when we need to stop the run, we need to actually be able to stop the run.
0: Uh, Where do you think – where would you guess that the Packers ranked in rushing defense last year?
1: I I think it was around – now, see, this is a tricky statistic. I think in yards allowed per game, they were around where I said. They were 13th, 14th, 15th. 14th. Right. But in average yards gained per rush, they were, like, around 20, 21, if I'm not mistaken.
0: All right. uh, I'll have to check that in a second because the next stat that I looked up was rushing touchdowns. They were 16th. They allowed 16 rushing rushing touchdowns. By the way, the Buccaneers were first in both categories. Right. Uh, They only allowed 10 rushing touchdowns, which is not a massive difference from – 16 but uh that puts them at about 16th looks like they uh, i'm not counting this but it looks like they were around 20th in yards per carry at 4.5
1: yeah see that that
0: number i'd like to get it
1: down to 4.2 or lower uh doesn't have to be you know 3.3 it doesn't have to be world beating but let's get that number down to somewhere closer to the middle of the pack
0: Yeah, 4.2, it put them right around that 12 to 13th uh, mark. And then uh, the Buccaneers were at 3.6. Remember, they were were first in every category in rushing defense. I can't find a single category. Yeah, I don't see a single category here. Uh, See, the Rams had fewer long runs of 20 yards or more. Uh, there were a few teams that didn't allow any yards of, or any rushes of 40 yards or more, but the Buccaneers only allowed one. Uh, but almost everywhere else, they were right about the very best team in the league in rushing defense. Pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, okay. So I don't know that I would have that in my top five, certainly not at number two, but I do think that it is. Important to be more consistent in run defense. I think you have some games that just get so away from you. And I think, you know, the Alvin Kamara Saints game last year was one of the one of the worst rushing <laughs> performances that we had on defense. And then the other being that Dalvin Cook game.
1: Yeah, the the Dalvin Cook one really ended up costing them the game.
0: All right. Here's my number. Th- oh, no. Uh, give me your number three. We're switching. We're switching. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Uh, my my number
1: three special teams has got to be, again, at least average. I, I am not saying we have to have the greatest special teams in the league, but it can't be something that hurts us as consistently as it has for the last, oh, five to ten years.
0: Yeah, I had this on my list at number four, and... I think three or four is a very uh, worthy spot for it. The way I worded it is that special teams can't hamstring the team. And mm-hmm. you look at, you look at uh, the, the two games last year where special teams hurt us the most clearly was the Colts game and the the uh, Eagles game, but I'll also give a special uh, honorable mention to the Jaguars games. We had in a very short few weeks, um, Special teams was just absolutely brutal. Thankfully, Meninga did get fired after that season. Now, I had written a year ago that Meninga needed to be fired before the 2020 season. And I'm still not sure that um, special teams cost us a Super Bowl last year, but it definitely cost us a game. That, that Colts game, no question about it, was single-handedly lost by special teams.
1: Yeah, that, that definitely killed us in that game.
0: For my number three, so I, I had special teams at number four. For my number three, I wrote, and I had a little bit of trouble trying to put into words this concept, but I I, I think I might have arrived at it. The star players can't disappear in big games. And then I, I had a second point, and then they kind of decided to merge the two. And I said, even if the star players regress... Because you got you know Aaron Rodgers, Devontae, Jair. It's unlikely that those guys are all going to be as good as they were last year. Just because it's so hard to ever be as good as they were last year. Right. I said even if those players regress, the entire team can be better if they're just consistent. Mm-hmm. You look at you look at these big games and the the NFC Championship game in particular is a great example of it. Where were our star players? You know, a, a lot of the time, in, like in the first Bucks game uh Rodgers was horrific he was terrible you look at the NFC championship game suddenly out of nowhere Devontae was terrible uh Aaron Jones who's always great fumbles his football and and got the rest hurt. of the day he's not rushing very well he got hurt uh our our pass rush was invisible that day our offensive line which has been a massive strength for the whole year suddenly is just terrible on that day and you look at we have games where you'll have like all of the great players at once will just disappear. You know, I remember last year in the NFC Championship game, you look at like who played well, and I think it was like Jamal Williams and nobody had played well <laughs> in that game. This yeah. year this year you had, you know, Jair was still very good. Um his his run defense and his tackling grade were pretty terrible, but he had an elite coverage grade. He had two interceptions. Adrian Amos had an interception in that game. Um, You know, those guys were good. Uh, But then outside of them, you know, who else was good that day? A cast of characters you would never expect. He had kind of weirdly snacks, Harrison, who had like basically not played for us at all. And then he played uh, just a handful of snaps that day played at an, an elite level. Uh, Dean Lowry was way up there. He was one of the best players on the team that day. And then the, the very best player, according to PFF for the whole game was Christian Kirksey. Yeah. Who had, had had been just horrifically terrible for the whole season and everybody else fell apart on that day. Uh, with the exception of our DBs. Well, most of our DBs is one that we're not going to mention right now, but, um, but the, then, you know, that's the game that Christian Kirksey decides to show up. But when you have all of your star players decide to just take the game off, which was much more noticeable last year than it was in, in the in the 49ers game over the Bucks game. But even in the Bucks game, it was still a problem. You can't do anything, no matter how good your team is, is if all your best players don't show up and turn in like, like the worst performance of their career which David Boxieri did in that 49ers game it was one of the worst games he's ever played in his career how do you expect how do you expect to win a game when when your best players suddenly seem hungover
1: yeah no it, it at the end of the day the, the cliche in hockey for example is if you want to win a playoff series your best players have to be your best players and that that's, that's true in the NFL actually. as well it, it, when when the game is on the line, when the season is on the line, you need your star players to show up and do what they do, as opposed to having the odd bad game at the worst possible time.
0: So my number four was special teams. What was your number four? The pass rush has to return to 2019 form. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I like it. I think it needs the caveat of they need to be consistent. Yes. They need to show up in those big moments. But yeah, that would be phenomenal. And I have a, an easy solution. Just give Rashawn Gary more snaps. Give more of Preston's snaps to Rashawn Gary.
1: I, I think we will see more of Rashawn Gary, probably partially at the expense of Preston Smith. I have a weird feeling Preston Smith is going to have a nice bounce back year. Uh, well, and I'll tell that, you
0: who agrees with you is Brian Goodkins. He absolutely yeah. thinks that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I think that we're going to see all three of those guys on the field a lot more this year as well.
0: All right, my number five. I wrote, there is an amount of luck involved in winning a Super Bowl. The team needs to stay healthy, and our offensive line needs to remain strong this year with a lot of options. So you look at, we lost Corey Lindsley we're probably starting the year off without David Bakhtiari. We -hmm. have not really had a lockdown right tackle since Brian Balaga left. Um, We are probably putting at least one rookie on this offensive line, possibly two. I would say probably not more than two, but you also want to have that great depth so that when you get in a situation like that NFC championship game and David Bakhtiari is gone, that the guys you're putting out there are still, Uh, performing at the level that is expected of them. And David Bakhtiari actually had a fantastic quote. Um, I'm going to pause here because I just got to grab the quote here. No problem. He said, you look at the situation right now. Aaron's not here. There's going to come a time where I'm not here. The younger guys have to step up in their position because the expectation is the expectation. We have a standard to uphold, not only as a team, but as an organization. And I think that obviously he was talking about that in the greater sense of, you know, years down the road. But I think it's also true in games. I think Bakhtiari probably was watching that NFC Championship game and feeling pretty frustrated seeing that in his absence, the standard was not being upheld and his quarterback was not being kept clean.
1: Yeah, I I think that's definitely true. And next man up can't just mean a a warm body. It has to mean someone who's willing to go in there and perform at a high enough level, maybe not the same level as the starter, but close enough that the offense or the defense doesn't lose continuity.
0: You know what I just thought of is in the... Uh, in Super Bowl 45, Charles Woodson gets hurt, mm-hmm. and um, what was the linebackers coach name? What was his name? He just died this past year. Kevin Green talking to Clay. Yeah, Kevin Green is talking to Clay Matthews, and I think I think uh, Clay is saying something about how Charles Woodson needs to be like inspiring the team, and and uh, Green says Wood's gone, and he points at him at. At clay and tells him that you know it's you now he said it's time it is time yeah yeah and that that i think is the greater embodiment of next man up is not just oh you know our star player is out and so the next guy up uh you know needs to be prepared to do his job the next guy up has to be a leader as well Mm -hmm. mm-hmm gotta fill those
1: leadership gaps yeah
0: I love the way that you put it with that hockey quote that your star players have or your best players have to be your best players. That has not been the case in Green Bay uh, for the last few years in those big games.
1: No. And it has to change if you're going to win a Super
0: Bowl. All right. So we heard my five. Let's hear your fifth. My fifth is uh, I I could put it
1: simply, but there's a sort of bigger thing behind it. Let me Hear what you have to think about what you have to say about it. Uh, do not abandon the running game on offense too soon. Keep a diversity uh-huh. of play calls in that offense because if this team gets one dimensional, they are in trouble.
0: So, this was definitely my number six. I had it in the number five for a while, and then I kept thinking about the health and the offensive line and finally bumped that a little bit higher. Um, and I think the way I worded it is that Lafleur needs to not give up on his um, offensive play calling when the chips are down. He needs to stick with it and keep being creative, not get not get too one dimensional. Because we saw in both Buccaneers games that he would just abandon the run and let Aaron start throwing it time and time and time again. Here's the final, in the NFC Championship game, here is the final drive by the Packers, okay? Pass, pass, run. Pass, run, pass. Run, pass, pass, run. Pass, 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 pass. Watching it, and, and I think the you, know, you notice it even more strongly in the first time they played the Buccaneers, where after Aaron threw the back-to-back, almost back-to-back uh, pick sixes, Right. They started slinging the ball everywhere. They completely abandoned the run, and it was kind of bizarre. Like, look, I get that you're trying to send Aaron the message that you still trust him, and you're trying to calm his nerves and get him back into a rhythm. But, man, running the football is a great way to take some pressure off of him and let him relax.
1: Absolutely, and give him better, you know, downs and distances to be more effective throwing the ball. Yes. And, and I think, you know, the other thing was, and, and I don't want to get too specific into the mentality in, in one game, but in that first Tampa Bay game, they kept trying to run wide and you can't run wide on those speedy linebackers. You've got to run more trap plays and off, you know, inside runs rather than outside runs. Cause you know, those linebackers are fast and they cover side to side very, very well. And, uh, I just didn't see uh, a change in game plan when the wide runs weren't working. They didn't go to inside runs when they did on a few occasions. Didn't uh, wasn't that the game when A.J. Dillon had his first really like an 18 or 20 yard run and like his only carry of the game.
0: Yeah. And Jamal also busted for a long run up the middle as well. Right. But they didn't stick with it and they
1: kept you know, they they didn't stick with the run game in general. And they would, when they did run too often, they were still trying to run wide. And I just, I was remember myself screaming at the television. Uh, you gotta mix it up. You gotta go up, run <laughs> up the middle, yep. expletive yep. deleted, expletive deleted. So, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> you know,
0: that sounds like my living room that day. Okay. At least I'm not alone in that. So, <laughs> all right, let's get to our debate topic. And, um, You know, some weeks I just really love reporting on who won the poll from the previous week. And this is not one of those weeks because I came in with just under 10% of the vote. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, you and I debated last week uh, which undrafted free agent had the best shot at making the roster. You said Christian Uphoff, that one. And then my answer of Koi Kronk was just under 10%. So, let's try and forget about that and uh, clean slate start over again this week. So this week we are debating of the 2019 free agent signings. And there were four really big ones. Mm-hmm. What was the best acquisition? Okay. And I got to say my, my clear answer since I, since I lost the poll, I get to, I get to go first.
1: Yes, you do.
0: My clear answer is Zadarius Smith. Now he didn't have the greatest year last year, but he was still phenomenal. And on top of that, he is the clear and unquestioned leader of the defense. That man commands the room. He has a lot of respect and support from his player from his teammates. He is a captain on and off the field. In addition to being just a monster in the pass uh, in the pass rush. And his 2019 season, uh, his, his pressure percentage was so high, it would rank him, if he was able to sustain that over a few years, it would rank him as one of the best pass rushers of all time, very near to Von Miller. So to me, especially when you look at, even though we did pay a lot of money for him, you weren't paying the same amount as a lot of, uh, of guys who were already big names at the time. And Goody identified Zedarius kind of as a diamond in the rough. And everybody else was kind of like, huh, Zedarius who? And <laughs> wow, did he turn out to be a stud. So that's my answer.
1: Good answer. Uh, but I, I, I'm going
0: to go with
1: uh, the more subtle but consistent player, and that's Adrian Amos. Uh, ah, yeah. You got to remember a few things. Adrian Amos comes in. Jair Alexander was in his second season, just getting his career started. Darnell Savage is a rookie. And what held that secondary together, it was the consistency of Adrian Amos. He is a, a leader on the field and in the locker room, even though he's not as vocal outwardly as a Darius Smith is. But it, the one thing about Adrian Amos, he is always in the right place. And if you go back before the Packers signed him, you go back and look at the 2018, 2017 uh, game tapes so many times, haha! Ha Clinton Dix wasn't in the right place. Whoever else was filling in at safety was not in the right place. And the Packers were just giving a big play after big play in the passing game because the safeties were getting burned deep. Well, Adrian Amos solidified the secondary helped the younger players with their development and by the end of the 2020 season he was ranked by pff as one of the best safeties in the game so yeah to me best in the league right so to me you know more consistent than zadarius smith a quiet leader not a vocal leader as much but mature smart gets the job done, helps make the players around him better. And you know what? The the Packers defense doesn't improve in 2019 and 2020 without shutting down those big plays that plagued them so much the few years before Adrian Amos arrived. So, I'm going with Adrian Amos. I I just think that he is a quiet, consistent leader and You're not going to get, you know, headlines from him game in and game out, but you're never going to get negative headlines because he's always doing what he's supposed to do.
0: Man, that is an excellent answer. You have almost convinced me to switch sides. Wow. Unfortunately, deep down, I know that I'm right and that uh, the (laughs) Darius. Well, you you can't you can't discount the fact, you know, just how much the Darius impacts the DB's ability to do their job. Because the quarterback is throwing a lot of balls that he shouldn't be throwing, because he's got monster pass rushers staring him down, and uh, and then also just the energy that Zadarius brings to that defense. Uh, I both guys certainly lift up the guys, all the players around them. But uh, but for my money, give me Zadarius Smith <laughs> and uh, his his underrated sack celebrations.
1: I love the sack celebrations, but you know, as much as you're right about the pass rush helping the secondary, the secondary helps the pass rush. You get those coverage sacks. Oh, come on. So, oh, <laughs> come on now. You know they happen. You've seen, or else Dean Lowry would never have a sack. But I mean, uh,
0: so. All right, all right. It, it l- works l- both listen. ways.
1: It works both. Well, look, we'll leave this up to the listeners. We got to leave this yeah, up. We, this
0: we, we, need, we need the fans to settle this one because you and I are going to argue until we're blue in the face. So, fans, head on over to Twitter at JJ Leahy and at Gil Packers. Both of us will pin this poll to the top of our page. You can vote on either one and let us know who you would pick. And, uh, you know, listen, I just got murdered in the poll results last week. So if, if you feel like tossing a pity vote, my way, I think that that's the right thing to do. So that's Has it, it really today. come to that? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> that's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk over on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go pack go.
1: You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk.
0: Not-